Welcome back to the TD Jakes podcast. This episode, Bishop Jakes sits down with senior pastor of the Potter's House Fort Worth campus, Pastor Patrick Winfield. The two talk shop, entrepreneurship, business, and why leadership is more than just having a title. Let's get into it. Well, Bishop. Yes. Thank you so much for being here, sir, and welcome to Leadership 101. Glad to be here. <laughs> I am so excited because we actually have an opportunity to talk about business and to talk about leadership and to talk about it from various perspectives. But one of the things that I thought was very interesting is the fact that as a leader and as an entrepreneur, you have led the church of the Potter's House mm-hmm. for over 21 years. 21 years. You have been in ministry for 40 years. You are an entrepreneur, sir. You have your own entertainment company. You have written tens of... (laughs) 40 books. 40 books. (laughs) You have done so much. I'm writing two right now. And writing two right now. I'm writing two right now, and I'm reading four at the same time. And reading four at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Now, (laughs) with all of those things that you have done, you have managed to stay above board in your integrity. Mm -hmm. You have managed to not miss a beat because everything that you put forth and everything you put out is in excellence. Can you talk to us in your own words about what it means to be a leader? Wow. You know, that's a big question because leadership affects everybody in this room. And everybody in this room, to some degree, is a leader whether you're a leader over your family, whether you're a leader over an auxiliary in your church, whether you're a leader in a sorority, whether you're a leader of a company or whether you're a leader of your own brand, everybody is a leader, which means, first of all, you assume responsibility. And to me, if you're not responsible, if you don't assume responsibility, not blame, but responsibility, to understand that people cast blame but leaders feel responsible. Responsibility goes beyond saying this is my fault, but it provides solutions for situations. Mm. Mm. I think that God will promote you to the level of your tolerance of pain. Mm. Wow. And your ability to deal with pressure determines your level of responsibility. Everybody has leadership. Everybody, whether you're, my father ran a janitorial service. He absolutely was a leader. He had a company, he had things to execute, he had to develop leadership. In simple terms, leadership is your ability to take what is given to you and move it forward. Mm. Mm. Just simply, if you're not moving it forward, you're not leading it, you're babysitting it. Wow. And so the degree between where it was when you got it and how far you took it is the degree to which we measure your leadership. Mm. And, and it is very, very important that we have quantifiable ways of expressing leadership because most people think leadership is titles. Wow. So once they get a title, they feel like I'm a leader because I have a title. But you're, you're not a leader because you have a title. You're a leader because you move the thing forward. Wow. Now, moving it forward is moving it toward an expected end, which means you also need to be or be under a visionary. Because we don't want you to lead us in the wrong direction. It's leading us toward a particular goal. So when we get into this, we start talking about vision. We start talking about purpose. 
we start talking about goals. So I just don't want to move forward in a sporadic way, mm -hmm. but how much closer I, am I to achieving what was envisioned for my situation? Mm. Wow. So leadership is so expensive and nuanced these days, mm -hmm. right? And according to moving people forward, how can a leader then ensure that they are successful in whatever context that they are operating in? You said moving it forward. What are some ways that we can move things forward? One of the things that I find that is prohibitive when it comes to leadership, busyness does not equate to business. Okay. Slow. Many times we get stuck in the quagmire of busyness and we don't get down to the business of what we really come to do. All busyness is not related to business, and many times busyness is a distraction. Mm. One of the challenges of talking to a room like this is that we have so many people who are filtering this into the sphere of what they do, and there's such diversity that it's not one size fits all. Yes. So you have to understand why you look at political leadership. You have that to consider. Mm -hmm. How effective are you at moving forth the agenda of the city or of your municipal authority? How do you move that? How do you advance it the state or whatever that is as it relates to public policy and, and public engagement? What are my goals? Moving it forward in that way is an important thing. But what happens to us, whether you're running grandma's chicken shack or as I do, I run a production company. You get so busy doing what you do that you don't get to lead what you do. Wow, wow. So, so wow. one rule of thumb to small business owners, if you are in a business that you actually physically do and it requires your hands to do it, you have limited your income because you only have two hands. Okay, so yes. you can be so busy doing it that you don't get a chance to grow it. Wow. And when you start out, you have to be everything. That's what epitomizes entrepreneurs opposed to CEOs. When you're an entrepreneur, you have to do a 360 in terms of getting things done because most entrepreneurs are underfunded, don't have a team or staff. You are your team. You get exhausted because you have nobody to pass the ball to as opposed to a CEO. You are passing the ball all the time and then making people accountable to you. Right. When you start dealing with it, though, it's that many, many times we get distracted by things that are irrelevant. And it takes you a long time to figure out what matters and what doesn't. Wow. One of the greatest things I have learned in my life over the years is what not to worry about. Because if you can just mark out all the things that are not relevant to what you're trying to do, like managing what people say about you or managing what you heard or managing things that are irrelevant to what your goal is, you have to be focused on what you're doing. And in order to do that, there are certain things that you have to move off the table. The other thing I want to say that I think that is very, very important when you start talking about good leadership the old adage, good leadership works itself out of a job. Mm. But you want to be reserved for your highest and best use. So rather than being intimidated by replacements, you want to groom people to replace you so that you can be reserved for your highest and best use. And sometimes your best use isn't doing it, it's running it. 
Wow. It's very interesting. There's some interesting articles just came out in Forbes.com and several other articles have been written about the uptick of women going into business. Gotcha. In this contemporary society of where we are right now, there are more women and black women going into business than any other people group. That's white women, that's Latino women, that's men, that's anything. More black women are going into business in this era we're in right now than any other era before. That's the good news, that's exciting news, that's important news. Women are taking control of their destiny and their future, and many of them are doing very, very well. However, many of them don't survive because we don't really have the capital we haven't thought through the business. We're doing a business, 80% of the businesses that fail are businesses or entrepreneurial pursuits that were started out of need mm. rather than opportunity. If you start your business because you need money, you are far more likely to go out of business than you are if you start your business because you see an opportunity. An opportunity is a vacancy, okay? a vacancy through which you can fill or supply a demand that is not currently being filled. You don't go into business because you need money, because business is going to take money, okay? Mm. It's going to mm. take money before mm. it gives you money. So you don't say, I'm in need of money, I'm going into business. That's a poor reason to go into business. A good reason to go into business is we're 20 miles, this is hypothetical, we're 20 miles from a dry cleaner. And yet we have all of these rooftops in this range of income who need dry cleaning service. That's an opportunity. Gotcha. You see the difference? Gotcha. One gotcha. of it is, I got fired, I need to make my own money, won't, nobody will hire me, I need a job. That business won't survive. The business who studies the opportunity and then supplies that opportunity is far more likely to be successful. Simple rule of thumb. If your business does not solve a problem, it will not last. Wow. Okay. Wow. So success is attached to problems. <laughs> the only thing that makes an answer look good is a question. <laughs> okay. Okay. And if a solution is valuable, it has to be in the face of a problem. But if you're a person that's intimidated by problems, you're not going to be successful because business is built around problems. So it's like a doctor who doesn't want to be around sickness. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a dentist, but I can't be around pain. You, you understand what I'm saying? The only thing that makes a doctor important is the sickness. The only thing that makes a dentist important is the toothache. The only thing that makes a gas station work is that there's enough cars running out of gas. What does your business solve? Who does it solve it for? And putting it in an environment of problems makes it shine. Wow, wow. So that's a great point. Are you guys taking good notes? <laughs> okay, so if I am a person and I want to start a business, I see a lot of problems, mm -hmm. all right? There are a lot of potential problems and, and therefore potential opportunities for me out there. Mm -hmm. How do I pinpoint the business or the problem that I am graced or able to solve? A lot of things. First, first of all, I want to go back to the premise that we're expounding upon and, and okay. make it broader and make it clear. If you're a person who runs from problems, don't go into business. 
if you can't confront issues and you have trouble confronting and saying what you mean and you, you want everybody to like you and you want to be somebody who keeps peace all the time, you probably should get a job. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so let's go back to the mentality of champions. Okay. The mentality of champions requires that you have an inclination to go after a problem, that a problem causes you to go into attack mode to resolve it. And so this is a different mentality from people who run from problems. People who run from problems put it on the back of the desk. They only do what they're good at because they need to look important. <laughs> but if you're going to be good at a business, you have to do what needs to be done. You can hire somebody who's good at it. See, let's go a little bit deeper into this because I think a lot of times we go into business because we have a talent. Come on. Okay. So now I'm going to zero in on answering your question. Uh -huh. We go into business because we have a talent. Uh -huh. I'm just going to do something very simplistic. I bake cakes good. So I'm going to open up a bakery. The reality is I don't need to be able to bake at all to open up a bakery. I need to be able to run a business. I can hire somebody to bake. Okay. So as we begin to delineate whether you should be the baker or the business owner, don't be confused. If you only like to be in the kitchen, you shouldn't open up a bakery. Because then you're not going to balance the books at the end of the week. You're not going to look at the reports. You're not going to watch the inventory. You're not going to do the things that makes the business grow. You're not going to market it. You're not going to promote it. You're not going to be on Instagram. You're not going to put it on Facebook. You're not going to put your business in an environment to shine because you're going to have flour on your hands and you're going to be throwing cupcakes in the oven and you're going to be so busy doing it that you can't grow it. That doesn't mean that if I bake, I can't run the business, but it does mean that along with being able to bake, I gotta be able to think, I gotta be able to manage, I gotta be able to market, I gotta have an inclination to do that, and I may have to do my baking at first, but you want to soon find somebody who can replace you because good leadership is working yourself out of a job. Hmm. The problem with people who are excellent at both being able to execute the business as well as administrate the business is that your standards are so high that you can't hire anybody because nobody can please you. Wow. Nobody's baking it right. Nobody's doing the hair right. Nobody's doing this right. Nobody's doing the books right. And your ego is getting in the way of your income. So you wow. don't want to allow your ego to get in the way of your income. You can train somebody to do what you do. They will never be you. They will never be you, but they can do it, and you have to give people room to grow and time to grow. And the first rule of business is slow to hire and quick to fire. Ooh. If it's not working, don't deliberate over it all day. And this is why pastors have a hard time, and myself included, mm -hmm. because there's... <laughs> I tell people, there's two people talking to me in my head. One of them is Mother Teresa, and the other one is Bill Gates. <laughs> and they argue all the time because Mother Teresa wants to help everybody and clothe the naked and feed the hungry and do all of this kind of stuff and making excuses for people and having mercy. And Bill Gates is saying, Mother, you need some money. <laughs> you understand? Because if you're going to be philanthropic, you've got to be able to underwrite it. And a lot of times, we have a Mother Teresa attitude in a Bill Gates world. Wow. And a lot of pastors end up in conflict because you hire people because they've been with you a long time, because they're loyal or because you like them. But then as your ministry begins to grow, you find out that the people you like can't do the job mm -hmm. and the people that can do the job you don't like. 
And you have to understand that business, you don't hire people because you like them. You hire them because they're effective. You make friends with people you like. So don't turn your business into your family and hire people just because you like them, because they make you feel comfortable and because you have a need to feel secure. Understand the difference between the work environment and the home environment and don't start trying to befriend people that you've got to pay because then you're going to end up paying them to like you. Gosh. <laughs> it's good. Bot love is a very frightening kind of love to have. It only lasts as long as the checks are coming. <laughs> if you separate your need to be loved from your need to be profitable, you'll have a much happier life. And you can't always cross those columns because there are not many people who can work for you and be your friend and handle the difference between the two roles. There are some, but not many. Uh, Is that helpful? Sure, dear God. <laughs> Isn't this good? Now, I'm having a daunting time here because I want to take notes and I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to stay engaged in all of this because I'm a student. This is great, Bishop. Can you tell us, for those who are in a state in which they're trying to figure out what kind of business to have, either mm -hmm. they want to have a 501c3, a non-for-profit organization, or and some are trying to start a for-profit organization, mm -hmm. can you go into the detail of the difference between the two and how can you discern which one you should have. A non-for-profit is generally a charitable organization that is focused around a cause or serving the community, whether it is a church or whether it is a soup kitchen for homeless people or whether it is a hospital or something like that. It is a not-for-profit. And the odd thing about a not-for-profit is that if it doesn't make profit, it can't survive. <laughs> but it just means that profit is not the primary impetus to which the business operates. Maybe you open up a, a home for unwed mothers. You're not there to make money, but you have to have money to provide the service so you can't divorce yourself from the cause. Our country allows certain privileges and opportunities for not-for-profit organizations that are categorized as a 501c3 or 501c4 or what have you. You can also have a EDC, an Economic Development Corporation, or a CDC, a Community Development Corporation, which all are categorized, could be categorized as not-for-profits. Mm -hmm. Then there is a for-profit entity, and here's where the difference is. When an organization is a not-for-profit, it can receive charitable donations, depending on what type of 501c3 it is, donations toward a cause without providing a particular product in exchange for those donations, and the donors are able to file on their income taxes that they have supported a charitable organization, and so it's often donation-based, like the Red Cross or Salvation Army or some institution like that, or this church or, 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 or many other things. And it is able to get donated funds. Now, when you think of donated funds, don't just think of donations like coming from a parishioner. You can also get donations or, or support from AT&T or from Coca-Cola, and they can write it off and have some tax exclusions as a result of setting up a 501c3. On the other hand, 501c3s are highly regulated by the IRS in terms of what you can and cannot do, salary caps, how salaries are determined, how business is done, when it is done, and what order it is. And depending on what kind of business you want to do, sometimes the benefits of a 501c3 don't outweigh the liabilities of restricting you from being able to function, particularly when you 
clearly want to make money, mm. okay? Mm -hmm. Clearly, I'm not running the dry cleaners because I hate dirty clothes. I'm running the dry cleaners because mm -hmm. I want to make money, okay? Mm -hmm. That's a for-profit company. Let's go a little bit deeper into this because this is one of my pet peeves that I think is very, very important that small business owners don't know. A lot of times we start a business, we start a business like our parents and our grandparents did, and they told you to start a DBA. And you say, so I'm Harry Richardson doing business as Richardson Car Wash, okay? So you start a DBA. This is just my pet peeve. You get advice, do it however you want to. I am so against it, I could jump up and down and scream and holler and shout. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm running a car wash company and I do it as a DBA, and all of a sudden the clutch slips off while I'm washing the car and the car runs off the hill and the customer now sues, they can sue me, take my house, take all of my stuff, because a DBA provides no protection against your personal assets being held in acquisition. It is saying that you and the business are the same thing. Yes. So it's yes. TD Jake's DBA, it's Jake's chicken. Well, that means that when somebody ate chicken and got food poisoning, not only could they sue the restaurant, they could take my house. Wow. Wow. So you, you, you have no firewall between you and the organization. The reason you set up a corporation in the first place is because a corporation is an entity unto itself. Mm -hmm. The moment I take Joe's Chicken Place, I'm coming up with all these different names. <laughs> the moment I come up with Joe's Chicken Place and I incorporate it as a corporation, you can sue Joe, but you can't sue me. And let me make this clear. Actually, you can sue everybody you want, but when you get to court, it's not going to work because the moment I set it up and get my own EIN number, get my own incorporation, get my articles of incorporation, by doing so, I am saying it is not me. Mm. Okay. Mm. When we start talking about corporations, can I go a little bit deeper with yes, this? Yes, please. When we start talking about corporations, there are several different, and I'm not a lawyer, so, you know, but this is bootleg, but it's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I got lawyers in the audience nodding at me, so I'm doing pretty good. You can set up a C corporation or an S corporation, and the regulations around the corporations are different depending on their use, and with an S corporation, for a small business person, it might be wise to do an S corporation because all of the profits that are made from an S corporation ultimately flow over into personal income and you pay income taxes on the profit of the S corporation because you are the primary shareholder of the organization. Okay, why would I want that? I'll tell you why, because if you set up a C corporation, the corporation then has to pay taxes, business taxes, and you get double tax because then when you pull the profits, you're gonna get, have to pay income tax and business tax. Yeah. So say for instance, the business tax is 25% and say income tax is 33%, which means you're not making a lot of money. So now you end up paying 58% worth of taxes because you got taxed for a business. Then when you pull out the profit, you're gonna get double taxation. In an S corporation, you don't have that to deal with. Now, there is a way to get around it in a C corporation, and I might be giving you too much information. No, but, no, this is good, this is good. Uh, Take a, notes. In a C corporation, you could pull out all of the income before December 31st and avoid taxes that way, but, you know, I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> ideally, S corporation is an option. The bottom line is this. 
whether you're setting up an EDC, Economic Development Corporation, which, for example, maybe you set up an EDC because you're focused on developing economic fluency in a particular community, and maybe there are people, for instance, this church has an EDC. Okay, up under EDC, there are people who may agree to partner with me in doing something in this community, but may not agree with my theology. They don't want to give a donation to a Christian church. Maybe they don't believe in Christ. Maybe they're Jewish, agnostic, atheist, but they do believe in lifting up the community. So the church then sets up an EDC, which is a separate organization, which says different people from different... And, I'm sorry, and, and an EDC is an economic, economic development, development corporation. corporation. Yeah, and so there are, people can come in and join in and join in on the cause but not connect with the theology. So that means that the church can set up an EDC or a CDC and build houses, for example, and set up a CDC and people can contribute and be a part of that partnership without having the attachment of being connected to the church itself. The worst thing you can do in business is do business emotionally. <laughs> yes. Business is not emotions. So you don't want to, you know, I only want to deal with people who believe what I believe about Jesus. That's stupid. Uh, because, it, well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting relaxed now. See, if the wealth of the unjust is laid up for the just, how will we get it? Yes. <laughs> you understand? Yes, sir. See? We end up shouting about things that never materialize for us because we have these idiosyncrasies that put us out of the market of being able to do the things that are necessary to do business. I want to go a little bit deeper with this corporation Please. structure because how you structure a thing has a lot to do with its success. Mm. The only reason I'm not falling through the floor right now is because of the structure up under me. Structure is the things that people don't see that cause you to be stable. You cannot be stable without structure. So one of the first things I think that aside from doing a business plan and things like that is for you to set up the structure even before you have the money. Nobody's going to give you money if you don't have a structure. Nobody's going to invest money if you don't have a structure. And the other little footnote that I think is good for you to know, it is possible legally for a not-for-profit to have a subsidiary who is a for-profit entity, or you could have a for-profit company that has a not-for-profit arm beneath it, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, for example, if this church decided it wanted to open up a dry cleaners, it could own the dry cleaners, but you would set up a for-profit entity up under the not-for-profit umbrella, which simply means Uncle Sam wants to tax that income. And Uncle Sam wants to be able to tax that income. And if you don't set up a separate entity that fits what you are about to do, you're going to be hit by the IRS with what is called UBI, unrelated business income. In other words, we gave you a not-for-profit status for not-for-profit activities as you described it. And now you're doing something unrelated to not-for-profit and making money for it. To the degree that you do that, we want our money from that for-profit entity. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you look at somebody like Bill Gates, who then has a Bill Gates Foundation, 
Now, Bill Gates' organization, his corporations, you can't give money to. They don't want money going into his company or corporation. It's not a not-for-profit. But his foundation is designed for charitable causes, education and other things like that. He can raise money toward it, and you can contribute to it and write it off because it is your business organization should fit the intent of the function that you're going to do, and you need to give more thought into it. Business is a lot about thinking, what do I want to do, and am I structured right to accommodate what I'm trying to do? Wow, wow. yeah, that's good. Now, how many of you would say that while you're trying to structure your business, it's very hard for you to create the kind of lesson plan that is going to be able to give you the kind of uh, intellectual structure that you need in order for you to produce the kind of business that you want. So in that kind of instance, how do you set up the kind of business plan that's going to afford you the opportunity to do what you just said? There is nothing that I think that's any more important than having a good business plan. You lower your risk of failure drastically through your strategy drastically reduce the chances of failure through your strategy. In your strategy, your strategy should mark off every possible problem that you can foresee that could create failure. Wow. Wow. Okay. So in other words, you want to go on the camping trip with the cure before you contract the infection. Because if you get out there and you contract the infection, it's going to be too late to go get the cure. A business plan anticipates problems and has built into its strategy something that would circumvent that problem from taking you out of business. And then it also considers not only your resources, what you want to do, how are you going to do it? How will the business be sustained? Why do you think it's a viable business? So business plans also consider the environment in which the business is to be done, the resources through which the business is going to be supplied, and the projections need to be not just based out of, there's nothing worse to me than people who come to me and say things that are grounded in absolutely nothing. You know, I just believe it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. What does that mean? <laughs> oh, it's just got to be successful. You know, everybody's calling me about it. What does that mean? Everybody's calling. My phone is back to quantifiable. The more you can have details, the more you can rule out risk of failure. Generally, you can hire somebody to write a business plan for $1,200 or more. And while that may sound like a lot of money, it may be cheaper than bankruptcy. So think about that. Front load your money and your effort and your energy. That, what do you mean by front load? It is better to put the energy up front than it is to put the energy behind and now you've got the problem, now you've got the lawsuit, now you've got the crisis and your money is going behind. Anytime you're having to spend a lot of money behind, it's generally because you didn't put enough money and effort up front. Mm. Business plans cancel out potential areas of risk and failure. Just because there are areas of risk and failure doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, but if you can't find a solution that would respond to the risk of failure, maybe you shouldn't do it. Your business plan should fit that. And the reason that's really important is because when we get ready to go after capital, people are going to give you capital based on the solidity of your business plan. Let's play Shark Tank. 
Okay, here we are at Shark Tank. We're running up here and all of these people are coming up with all of these ideas. And in the first few minutes, you've got four or five CEOs out there who decide the level of risk based on the strategy or the plan. And if you watch a show like that, you soon learn what the person should have thought about before they got there. A lot of times they're so excited about the product they produce that they haven't considered marketing. They haven't done a thorough evaluation of cost. And above all things, Never ask anybody for money if you're not invested in it. Wow. Yes. Because the first thing they ask you is how much have you put into it? Yes. yes. <laughs> how much have you put into yes. it? People always want to find somebody to give them money around something that they have not invested money in. Mm. Here's the problem. Here's the elephant in the middle of the room. It's startup capital. It's just really, really hard. And depending on what the business is, you're gonna, your business plan is the first thing I'm going to want to see. Okay. Mm -hmm. The other thing is your level of enthusiasm because actually people give money to people. So if I don't believe in you, I'm not going to give money to it. Because even if the plan is good, if you don't convince me that you are tenacious and relentless and tough enough to do it, the plan can look good on paper, but when I look at you, I still won't give you the money because you haven't proven to me that you're wow. tough enough for me to put my money in as a wow. risk behind your dream. Wow. I don't have time to stop doing, you see what I'm saying? Oh yeah. I don't have time to stop doing what I'm doing and run your dream. So part of the reason that people invest in you is because you have enough evidence to suggest that you won't run in a fight. So basically it boils down to this. I'm not going to put you into a Goliath opportunity if you can't show me that you killed the lion and the bear before you got to my office. Wow. Okay. What, this is what I want to know. What have you killed before? <laughs> so my son says to me, my son says, uh, Daddy, you sit with CEOs and you're working with executives and you, you're, I work with people who get things done. Mm -hmm. And he said, how do I get respected to sit around the fire with the elders? And I looked at him and said, go kill something. <laughs> I said, if you go out there and kill a lion and come in all bloody and scratched up and throw his carcass right down in front of the fire, we'll say, have a seat. Now, let me, let me go beyond the metaphor for you to clearly see. What I'm saying is go out there and attack something that's bigger than you and wrestle it down and kill it, and you then get the right to be respected at the fire. You don't get the right to be respected to sit around the fire with people who are champions just because you have ideas. Yes. Ideas yes. that have not been proven are guesses. You have to go out there and make something work in order for somebody who makes something work to respect you. Jeez. <laughs> you, you understand That's what good. I'm saying? So, so here's the mentality that we see today. Well, the reason I haven't killed something is because you won't give me a chance. And you're saying you won't let me sit at the fire until I kill something. You won't give me a chance. That right there tells me I'm not going to give you any money because you are blaming me for your failure. Uh. You have to go out there and make that thing happen for yourself. It's not my fault that you didn't make it work. Why is this important? I want you to see why this is important. It's not just me being tough. There are things you learn in the fight. 
Come on, sir. That make you eligible to sit around the fire. If I save you from the fight, I save you from the experience that makes Woo! you valuable. You've got to get in the fight because fight equates to experience and experience work of hope and hope makes itself not a shame. I don't want to be ashamed to lose my money. <laughs> Go kill something. Oh, no, no, no. This is good. Let's go a little deeper there because oftentimes when you're talking about generations, mm -hmm. you're talking about your generation that mm -hmm. has mm -hmm. guts, yeah, yeah. grit, fight, builders. Yeah. You guys, you guys no are choice. marked up and you had no choice. Yeah. <laughs> and you have a newer generation that doesn't have the fight, but have all the ideas. That's because we gave you everything except what made us great. We gave you stuff, we didn't give you struggle. So when you run into struggle, it's so foreign to you, you wanna quit. One of the worst things you can do is give your kids everything they want, everything they need. You know, it comes from a good place, it comes from a great heart, but they'll never stand up and be great. You need to give them problems and responsibilities <laughs> and chores yes. and things to get done. You can't raise a person to be responsible if you're giving them everything because then they think they can't get up till somebody gives them something. I told my kids early, 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 I don't know if I should say that. Oh, <laughs> honey, you, I brought my wife with me in case I get out there. I'm getting old, you know, my filter's getting bad. <laughs> I told my kids, we were, we were, <laughs> I say some things at home I wouldn't say in church, but I said, listen, it's December 25th, don't be looking for no white folks to be coming down the chimney to bring you nothing, and don't leave no cookies down there. Let me tell you who, who, who the Santa is, it's me. I worked every day Come for on. everything up under this tree. There will be no free rides. There will be no giving. So you can take them cookies, I'm gonna eat them myself, and let's get this thing going. That's why I told mine. And we still had a very Merry Christmas. Yes. I do not want them to sit around waiting for somebody to come oh, down the chimney good. and hand you something. Wow. Nobody is coming. We are the people we've been waiting on. If you're going to get anything, you got to get it yourself. Woo! Say la, say la. It's out there now. <laughs> it really is. That's the way I talk at home. <laughs> it really is. No, but this notion that somebody owes you something or somebody's going to give you something or that you're supposed to have something because you're my child or because you're this or because you're that or because you're the other. Listen, it's not going to happen like that. <laughs> it's not like if you cry long enough, somebody's going to feed you. That's for babies. That's for babies. When your mama weaned you, that was over. Now you got to stop crying and get up and go in the kitchen and make it happen. And if there's nothing in the kitchen, you got to get out the house and get a job and bring something in the kitchen. See, the older you get, the less help you get. When you start out, all you got to do is suck. After a while, you got to go in there and cook. After a while, you got to go out there and work. After a while, you got to go out there and kill something. Lay it right there on the floor. You can sit by the fire. <laughs> yes! Yes! Come on, that's worth a few amens and hand claps and... <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really mess up your session now. Please, mess it up. One of the reasons that we are seeing the inequities between women and men in the contemporary society in which we live right now 
is because we have too many women who are heads of households. Watch what I'm saying. When a woman has a family, she tends to train her daughter and spoil her son. Okay, let, let me tell you why. When you do cross-gender parenting, a man is tough on a boy. But the girl, come on, you get whatever you need. You understand what I'm saying? Now, the man is gone out of the house, so here's the woman running the house. She's tough on the girl, not because she doesn't like women. She knows how tough it is to be a woman in the world. She's trying to train her to be ready for that. She will hold her to a higher standard because she wants her to be tough. You got to be tough to make it in this world. You got to get up and deal with it. But the boy she's enamored with, she spoils him. And so consequently, the men are getting weaker and the women are getting stronger. What we need is a voice that jacks that boy up in love and <laughs> requires something of him and makes him accountable and responsible. I am not in your life to spoil you. I am in your life to train you. I am going to train. That's how I love you, by training you, kicking you in the behind, yelling at you and telling you I expect more, do better, go higher. I'm not talking about abusing children. I'm talking about expecting something from them and then your mama can hug you up and kiss you up and love you. <laughs> See, our boys don't understand tough love yes. because they've been raised by mothers and any voice that doesn't sound like mama, they think is abuse. We used to have fathers. Woo! My father talked to me like I was just, 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 oh God, it was just. And I didn't love him till he was gone and I look back at it and remember that I wouldn't be who I am right now if he had not demanded me to stand up and be tough. The best thing you can do for your children is get them ready for this world. And get them ready means requiring something of them. That church said amen. That church said amen. This is a mystery for me because we have actually more educated youth than we've ever had. Yeah. Because what we told our children was go to school, get yes. a good education. Yes. And if you get a good yes. education, you're going to be successful. Yes. So yes. they went to school, they got a good education, and then they couldn't get a job. Yes. Because having education gives you the tools but having the guts gives you the power to use what you got. And so we gave you the equipment, but we didn't give you the guts. Our generation had guts because we had no choice. We had to have guts. You had to have guts, you weren't gonna get nothing. They didn't promise you nothing. You didn't expect nothing. Don't ask me for nothing. Don't look at nothing. And if you break something, I'm gonna kill you. So that's how we grew up. We also grew up in an era that all of the images we saw on TV were of people working. From Archie Bunker to Bill Cosby, it doesn't matter who you saw on TV, they were people who were gainfully employed. We grew up in an era with heroes like Dr. King and Malcolm X. You grew up with Tupac. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Biggie. And Biggie. You grew up with Tupac and Biggie. We grew up with King and Malcolm X. That's a total different mentality. We saw working men going to work and coming home on TV, everywhere. That's what we saw. So my idea of being a man is going to work. That's how I showed I was a man. I got up, I went to work. That's what men do. I go to work. I provide. I go to. 
you saw quick success. Wow. You saw uh, movies when you grew up in an era when everybody on TV was blinging. From preachers to hip-hop artists, everybody was blinging. You saw the bling, but you didn't see the thing that brought the bling to pass. So you fell in love with the results and not the process. You can't fall in love with the results and hate the process because it is the process that gives the results. Wow, wow. When wow. you look at hip-hop, when you look at music, when you look at social media was born, all of that was born at a time where people became overnight wonders. They became successful, and we don't even know why they're successful. People like the Kardashians, they just became famous for the sake of being famous. And so we told you, you can be whatever you want to be. This is what we told you. You can be whatever you want to be. The sky is the limit. But we didn't tell you that you have to work to get there. So you're waiting on somebody to discover you. Wow. Wow. Entrepreneurs discover themselves. Entrepreneurs hire themselves. Entrepreneurs become the masters of their own dream, the facilitators of their own faith. Entrepreneurs are not waiting on anybody to do anything. You know that you are the person that you've been waiting on and you make it happen. You have the spirit. It's like immigrants. Immigrants come here knowing that if they don't work, they don't eat. They're not worried about a fancy apartment. They'll have 20 people living in a two-bedroom yes, apartment yes, because sir. they're interested in the goal and they don't care about the process. We want to impress people because we come up in the era of Facebook and as long as we can fix the picture, you never put an ugly picture up on your own site. And so we always worry about how we look rather than who we are and we invest into the finished image and not the process. If you put more money into the process, you'll have more effect on the promise. Does that make any sense? Yes, yes. All right. Is I this helping away. anybody? I want, you to, I want you to tweet some of the things that, that Bishop is saying. I want you to tweet hashtag and use the hashtag Leadership 101. Tweet it out there because this is some great information. Bishop, you've been talking about the mindset of an entrepreneur already in, in, which, in which I'm just enamored with some of the things that we are learning or have learned in school. I was an English major, and I was talking to a group of young people, and I told them, I said, I'm an English major, and as an English I'm major. Like so yeah. <laughs> um, okay. I, I was taught to read... Mm -hmm. dead authors mm -hmm. to write papers about dead authors right. but they never did teach how to write your own book mm -hmm. when I thought about it and I thought about how the system the educational system sometimes is trained to create workers or people who are looking for jobs mm -hmm. versus people who are thinking like entrepreneurs mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I said it's our responsibility then to infuse this mindset of entrepreneurship in our own young people and use the platform as the church as a platform to be able to do that. So can you go a little bit deeper with the mindset of an entrepreneur? Because sometimes you can be an entrepreneur and you're 16 years old and 15 years old and 10 years old and have a heart to become an entrepreneur. And sometimes as parents, we don't even know how to, how to fan the flame of that particular mindset. Mm -hmm. How did that mindset develop in you? Oh, wow. You said so many things I want to answer along the way. First thing, when you were talking about you were taught to write books, here's the problems with writing books. And you said they didn't teach you how to write your own story. I have a bigger problem. They taught you how to write books, but they didn't teach you how to sell them. 
So what is the good of writing a book you can't sell? So all of a sudden you have really smart people who have really great ideas, but they're stacked up in the garage. We haven't talked to the point of execution, okay? Uh, uh. We haven't talked to the point of execution. I'm reading the book right now about execution, and it talks about wigs. And wigs are wildly inspiring goals that everybody should have at least two wildly inspiring goals. And that with these wigs, it should be a goal that is wild enough and effective enough that it requires some energy to get it done. You can't invest in more than two of them because you also have the whirlwind of responsibilities that you have to feed 80% of your time, but about 20% needs to be focused on your wigs, your wildly inspiring goals that if you accomplish them, it will change your life in mm -hmm. some way. Mm -hmm. It will change mm -hmm. your life. It's gonna make things better for you. Why, that's your inspiration. Now, you went deeper than that because we have a lot of smart people with a lot of great ideas who can't get up off the ground, they can't figure out why. That's why I pointed out it's good to learn how to write a book, it's better to be able to sell it. Mm -hmm. I wanna go a little bit deeper. How do you train a child at early ages? I don't know, there's been a lot of research done as to whether this is a learned behavior or not. I wrote the book Instinct, and I think that there needs to be an instinct in a person for something that you encourage, I don't think you can give them the instinct. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. For yes. instance, my daughter was in town with her husband and all the kids, and we were taking them a tour of our new facilities up in Dallas. And we took, we just built this $26 million youth empowerment center, and we're really getting ready to focus on training young people to get them ready for excellence, not only in faith, but also in academics and the very things that we're talking about right now. I want to see everything starts with your childhood, okay? Mm -hmm. So I think it's a very important place to put your emphasis and energy, and I'm getting old now, and you want it, you know, the older you get, the more you care about what's coming behind you, I think. And so we were doing it. Anyway, my granddaughter was out there with a whole bunch of other kids and they were bouncing around all over the place. And we got ready to take a picture. So I said, let's take a picture while we're in the sanctuary. We went in the sanctuary. They all got up on the steps. The lights weren't on in the sanctuary. And so Kenzie said, here. And she went and got a flashlight. She got a flashlight from under the pew and ran up on the steps and held the light out. She's holding the light out like this on the people who are about to take the picture. And they said, no, 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 get in the picture. She said, no, 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 I don't want to be in the picture. I want to hold the light. Okay. I looked at her. Several things leaped up in my head. First of all, she saw a problem. Come on. She didn't ask anybody to fix it. She went out there and found a solution. Yes. She brought the solution over there. She was more happy to be a part of the solution than to be in the picture. I said, wow. Wow. Okay. So we come back home and we're getting ready to take another picture because you know when you got grandbabies, you take all kinds of pictures. And I need them to hold my phone up still so we take the picture. My phone kept falling over. She said, wait a minute. She started bringing things around and setting my phone up so it wouldn't fall over. How old is Kenzie, honey? She's seven. I told my daughter and my son-in-law, rush her into every kind of school, every kind of training, business development. First of all, she doesn't run from problems. 
She runs into the problem. She seeks out solutions. She's a problem solver. She's aggressive. She doesn't wait to be instructed. Those are the things you want to look for in kids. Mm -hmm. Little bitty things, little bitty mm -hmm. instincts that they have. Mm -hmm. How do they react to situations? How do they respond to problems? And when you see the fire, fan it. Yeah. Fan yeah. it, fan yeah. it. Put yeah. her in rooms. She needs to be in rooms with people who look like her who are doing what she is doing. She needs to be in the room with women who are CEOs and managers and in leadership who are solving problems, whether they're doctors or lawyers. She needs to know that her being a woman doesn't mean that she can't do any of that. She needs to have something because one thing, we talk a lot about mentoring. Mentoring is very important and I hope we get to talk a little bit yes. about that. But the other thing that's equally important is modeling. Good, good. If you don't have a model, having a mentor is not enough. You need a model. You need to look up and see something that resembles something you would want to be that looks attainable to you. The reason they put the picture of the puzzle on the outside of the box is that when you have a model, you can put it together faster. That's the only reason they put the picture on there. Truth be told, if you got a puzzle and you sat there and fiddled with it long enough, you could figure out how to put it together. But it would take half the time if you can look at the picture, you have a model and say, oh, the sky's over here. I'm going to put the light blue piece over there. A lot yes. of us have lived lives without models. Wow. The reason low-income housing doesn't work is because it doesn't provide low-income children with models. Wow. We need mixed income housing so that the kid who's on welfare lives yes. across the street from the kid whose daddy is a doctor. Because when he has success modeled in front of him, he knows it is within my reach yes. to become that. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Okay. Oh, God. You said something else there, sir, that modeling is important. And sometimes within the community, it's very hard to find models and mentors mm -hmm. because after people make it, they move out of the community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And thereby, the only mentors and models that we find are on what we see on television that we see and rappers and entertainers then become the model versus the, the doctor and the policeman and, and people who are in the community and leaders who are in the community, business people who are in the community, who are doing something in the community and being visible. What do you say to people, leaders who are civic leaders, people who are aspiring to become great, people who are already doing great things, what do you say to them about their impartation or their responsibility as far as being in the community and being models? A lot. Uh... It's, it's very interesting that we could talk all day about that. Oh, yeah. Successful and or educated minorities are in a unique position. Mm -hmm. When you're a minority and you're successful and or educated, you are probably the loneliest person in the whole city. <laughs> you're not accepted by your own community because you're too successful or too articulate and they burn your black card. <laughs> yeah. But you can't quite emerge yeah. into the white community because you're a minority. Okay. So you end up in this nebulous, indescript place of not having a sense of connectivity, which you then feed with addictive, compulsive, workaholic disorders. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. 
We must rebrand minority communities to include success and intellect. And if we rebrand the description of who we are as a people to embrace our successful rather than to ridicule us because we're in the big house. <laughs> Come on, sir. And somebody's in the slave quarters and you got light skin, you dark skin, you talk like you're white. You da, da, da. To say that I talk like I'm white is to say that the only way I can be black, authentically black, is to be like you. <laughs> so anybody who doesn't fit our description, our description of ourselves, we reject them and say you did something wrong rather than to revere them and say, you did something right, how can I do it too? We criticize what we would like to be. Wow. 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 Now, let's go deeper with it. So there's a twofold responsibility. The responsibility of the person who's struggling and needs to be mentored is to have the courage to walk into rooms too big for you. To walk in the rooms where you're scared that you're going to say something stupid. To walk in the rooms that you don't know what to wear. To walk in the rooms where if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in, you've outgrown the room. <laughs> if everybody in your world looks to you for answers, you're too big to be in that room anymore. You want to be in a room where you feel ignorant, where you feel insufficient, where you're uncomfortable because that means you have room to grow. Yes. So part of your responsibility is to get out of the small cubicle where you are always lauded as being important mm -hmm. and get in a room that makes you feel insignificant and grow into it. Wow. Wow. It is the responsibility of the affluent, articulate intellectual to leave the door open for you to get in the room. You understand what I'm saying? What we need to do is to be sensitive to the fact that we don't become elitist and only interact with people who have what we have. We have to see a brother coming and leave the door open for him, see a sister trying to climb up and reach and give her a hand up so that she can get in the room and we have to fight for them when they do get in the room because sometimes we know that they did something stupid but they did something stupid because they didn't know what to do in that room and you have have to give them the grace to grow into the room. Wow. Wow. So Bishop, and we have some young people who are here. If you could go back <laughs> and have a conversation with your, with your teenage self, what things would you tell him? I would tell him not to do things to anesthetize the pain of his childhood. Because in the process of trying to anesthetize the pain of where you come from, you can alienate the opportunity of where you're going. I would definitely tell him that. I would tell him you're going to be far bigger than you ever thought possible. You're going to be far greater than you ever imagined that you are going to live your crippled self into opportunities beyond your wildest dreams, so plan for it. <laughs> so I would tell him to live like you're gonna be president. Right now. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, to live like somebody's watching, to live like you matter, to read like you matter, to walk like you matter. The reason that he didn't know that is that the whole world of the young person, watch this, the whole world of the person 20 and under is 19 to 1. The 20-year-old is as old as he's ever been. So all of his problems have to be younger than him. He is trying to fix what's behind him rather than to understand what's behind you doesn't matter. It's what's in front of you that you got to be getting ready for. You cannot change what's behind you. You can only change what's in front of you. So rather than to responding to your past, trying to prove something to somebody you're not even going to remember 20 years from now and change the attitude of people who are you're going to leave in your rearview mirror, I want you to set your sights on what's in front of you. You know, you can't go forward looking back. Yes. Okay. And the problem with youth is that you don't see age. You don't see the future. You see history, you don't see destiny. And I think that that's the way we should raise our children with a good vision of the future, not the past. Mm. Everybody in here who's hurting is hurting over something in the past. Mm. Nobody in here is hurting over something in the future. <laughs> if you wanna get rid of your pain, step out of your past. Wow. It's simple. I mean, it's absolutely, your destiny is a blank check written, laying on your desk. Mm. Your history has already come back insufficient funds. Mm. There's mm. nothing behind you you can change. Mm. The only thing you can change is what's in front of you. You can't change yesterday. You can't change last night. Why are you wasting today with energy about something you can't change? Everything that matters is in front of you. You Drive yourself into what's ahead and forget what's behind. You'd be surprised how much happier you would be, how much more peace you would have, how much more creative you would become. We spend all of our todays are engulfed with fixing yesterdays. Wow. And not one of us has been able to fix a yesterday. If we would take our today and prep for tomorrow, we would leave our history so far behind us and walk smack dab into our destiny. Wow. Wow. That's what I would tell myself. Wow. Wow. <laughs> what would you tell what would you tell the person who is nearing retirement? They have been listening to us <laughs> talk about entrepreneurs. They have been uh, listening to to the reverberation of the conversation about millennials that are coming up and, and becoming entrepreneurs and or uh, occupying certain jobs and things of that nature, how businesses and companies are shifting and changing, and they are nervous about what should they do now? Ooh, Lord have mercy. You know, first of all, I won't lie. You waited a long time to think about that. If you're just now thinking about that, you waited a long time to think about it. I say that in respect to the people who are 30 and 40 years old in this room and 20. Throw your money forward 
because when you throw your money forward, it, it escalates in power. When you throw your money backwards, that's debt. It disintegrates with interest. You need to save some money for that old man in you that hadn't come out yet. The Bible said that, I'm gonna be biblical for a minute. That's my day job anyway. Um, <laughs> the Bible said, Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning, he shall devour the prey. And in the evening, he shall divide the spoils. If you don't devour the prey in the morning, you won't have anything to divide in the evening. While you are strong and while you are young and while you are vibrant and while you can work with three or four hours of sleep and while you can take a licking and keep on ticking and while you haven't had back surgery and while your knees are still working and while you can still see don't waste all of that energy having sex and getting high. <laughs> Feed that old woman whose calcium is gathering around your spine and you can't feel it right now, who is dependent on you to be smart early. Feed that old man you're gonna be. Feed your old man every dollar comes in the house, throw the old man some, a dime, a quarter, some, a penny. Every time you get a chance, throw it to the future. And if you throw it to the future when you're young, by the time you get old to catch it, it will have escalated in value and it will serve you well. That's the first thing I want to tell you. <laughs> oh, this is good. You should have charged for this, giving away all this free stuff. I, I normally get paid for stuff like that. <laughs> to the person who's older, and I want to say this because I think that this is cultural. I may be wrong, but I know for sure it is prevalent amongst African-Americans. We have limited our shelf life. We think we're old before we are. Oh, wow. Our Caucasian brothers and sisters, by and large, don't think like that. You don't find... 50 and 60 year old white men talking about them being old. <laughs> you find them running for Congress at 70. Come on, sir. We got a guy who is the president of the United States of America who is 70 years old. Yes. You don't hear him talking about age anywhere, at any time, at any place. He acts like he's 21. In our community, if you see a black man who's 70, he act like he's just waiting on the funeral. <laughs> I'm just gonna sit here in this chair and uh, get ready for the cemetery has already been put in place and I'm getting ready to die. Listen. This is an opportunity to be like the white folks. <laughs> Come on. Jogging around the lake at 70, exercising, shaking it down. They be working, they be doing yes. yoga. Old yes. white ladies be doing yoga. Yes, yes. 
I don't know what is wrong with us Come on. that we think the only thing we got left to do is eat sweet potato pie and die. The no. devil is Come alive. Come on. Arise. Come on. Come on. Wake up out yes. of your sleep. Yes. Shake yourself. Yes. Loose the bands <laughs> from around your neck. You are Come not on. old. You are not old. You are not, you are not, you are not, Sing. not old. You are not old. If we were in church, I'd say, slap your neighbor a high five and say, you are not old. You are not old. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Do not drink the Kool-Aid. Shake yourself. Take off them old grandfather clothes. Get you a haircut. Put you some clothes on. Shake yourself. Put your hat on sideways and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm just coming into my finest hour. My best days are ahead of me. Speak to yourself. Tell cancer, hell no, I'm not coming. Tell diabetes, I don't have time for you either. Get on a treadmill, shake yourself. Yeah. You, you asked me to come over here. <laughs> Somebody shake yourself right quick. You need to come out of this coma. Somebody has put us into a coma. <laughs> I will always appreciate Bob Schaefer. I was invited to a dinner in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Are you all enjoying this? <laughs> I was invited to a dinner in Washington, D.C., and there were all of these different aristocrats there. Small dinner, Sally Quinn, who is head of uh, On Faith for Washington Post, invited me to this very elite dinner. There's Jewish rabbis, Mormons there, different people. And Bob Schaefer was there, Bob Schaefer, the journalist. And so I, I made the mistake of telling Bob, I guess Bob's about 80, something like that, that I was getting old. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he's the first one who slapped my face. He said, oh. He said, everything important, everything that mattered in my life happened after 65. Wow. All of my wow. Pulitzers, all of my accomplishments, all of my accruements came after 65. He said, why do you think you're old? He looked at me like I was drunk. <laughs> and all night long, I thought, well, why do I think I'm... <laughs> you, you, you know, people can tell you something until you buy into a narrative yes. just because they tell you, you know, I went to work because that's what was what was modeled in front of me. And then I started getting old because that was modeled in front of me. And then I thought, wait a minute. I started acting old because my hair got white. And everybody started calling me their father in the gospel. So I started playing the role. I started... <laughs> When in truth, I don't feel like that inside. I don't feel like that. And I'm not gonna act like that just because this hair is white. I'm gonna keep it moving as long as I can keep it moving. If I have to jog, if I have to exercise, if I have to take vitamins, if I have to eat more healthy, I don't care what I have to do. I am not just gonna die because you say I'm supposed to. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. You gotta change what you tell yourself. 
Colonel Sanders started his business after 65. Didn't have nothing but Social Security. If you're over 65 and you have the spirit of an entrepreneur, it will work if you work it. It will work if you work it. Take your retirement money, put it together with your grandmama's food stamps, open up your business, start your company. Who knows what you can do? You finally got some sense. You finally grew up. You finally found out what matters. You finally recognize who to trust and who not to trust. This could be the finest hour of your life. Wow. My mother bought a... I am the sum total of my parents. I am the sum total of my parents. My father started a business with a mop and a bucket with no money, no truck. (laughs) A mop and a bucket, started a business, got his first truck, red, old, raggedy truck with a black fender that was made of used parts. We looked like Sanford and Son. (laughs) And, uh, And he started a business, ended up with 52 employees, 10 trucks and contracts all over the state of West Virginia. Mm. Mm. Uh, Mm. So I grew up with that entrepreneurial spirit. My mother was a school teacher. She was an educator, very articulate, very intelligent, loved to write, a great thinker, very strong, very tough person. But she was bivocational. She didn't know she was bivocational. My mother was a school teacher, but she always was, was Hustling. <laughs> she sold Avon. She always had some little something going on. And uh, she would take her extra money and buy property. Mm. Mm. Little houses that I remember one of them she paid $5,000 for. Now, this is back in another lifetime. Uh, paid about $5,000 for it, got a house, and then bought another one up the road. I can't remember what she paid for it. Little by little, my mother bought up all the houses on the street. <laughs> wow. And then she bought a couple in other locations. When she started buying those houses, my mother understood it wasn't about having a certain amount of money. That if you bought something that was marketable and you had good credit, you could buy the property and let the renter pay the bill. <laughs> so she let the renter pay the bill till they paid off the bills and then she started gathering the rent. Fast forward, I moved to Texas. She moved with me. She moved here with me. She died here. She got Alzheimer's. My mother was collecting rent when she no longer knew she owned the property. Wow. (laughs) And I can remember coming in, she referred to him by the address. I said, Mama, 605 paid and 607 paid. 609 said they're going to pay on Thursday. And she, she was having a, a good day that day. She looked at me, she said, I don't care no more, baby. <laughs> Whatever you do with it, it'll be fine. Amen. Wow. Wow. What she did was feed her old woman before she became an old woman. Wow. Okay? So while other old women were living off of Social Security, my mother had more money coming in through rent than her entire teacher's retirement, social security, all of it put together. My mother was making money all the way. While I was trying to get her to open her mouth and swallow applesauce, we were still handling her business. The Proverbs 31 woman is a smart woman. 
She's a businesswoman. She's a thinking woman. My mother didn't spend her life chasing men or trying to impress the other women in the community or trying to be something that she was. She was focused on her agenda. Now, it started like this. I don't know that she really started doing it to make money. I think she started doing it. She used her maternal instinct for her because mm -hmm. my mother's first goal was, mm -hmm. she said, I'm going to buy all of these houses so that you kids can never be outdoors. <laughs> and she said, if life ever gets bad and you don't have any place to go, you know you can always come home. So she took a maternal instinct and turned it into a business. She said, now, while I'm waiting on that to happen, I'll make some money. <laughs> and she kept making money. Listen, I think one of the most important things that I may have said today is a lot of times we're playing a script that's been laid out in front of us. When you get a certain age, you start acting like the people in front of you. But the people in front of you didn't have the opportunities that you have. Mm -hmm. You live in an era today where there are people who make money, they start businesses at home. Mm -hmm. Stop mm -hmm. being scared of these computers, old folks. Bishop T.D. Jakes, y'all! <laughs> <laughs>